Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My mom would never say, you're not wearing that, it's too sexy. She'd go, yeah, you look great. Um, here, borrow my leather PVC cat suit or whatever they want. You're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. My guest today is actress Gemma Arterton. Gemma made her film debut in St Trinian's, which happens to be one of my favourite films of all time. And over the past decade, she's grown into one of Britain's greatest and most interesting young actresses. Her filmography ranges from James Bond to Their Finest, and this year she stars as Vita Sackville-West in the highly anticipated Vita and Virginia. For the past year, Gemma's been one of the leading voices in the UK Time's Up movement, fighting against sexual harassment and advocating for equality for women in the film industry. Earlier this year, she produced an amazing short film titled Leading Lady Parts, which addresses issues of gender inequality in a hilarious and perceptive way. She's an amazing force for good, and I loved talking to her. So, Jim Arton, are you a feminist? Of course I am. Of course I'm a feminist. Amazing. And when did you realise you were a feminist? Um, I think I didn't really know what a feminist was until probably about eight years ago. Wow. But I was always a feminist. My, my, um, I remember... Well, basically, I was raised by my mum and my aunt, who are, when my aunt particularly is a proper feminist and, you know, socialised with feminists and would consider herself a feminist. But, so we were raised with this kind of, in this way of being. Um, But I didn't really know about the movement or, you know, I wouldn't have had anyone as a kid saying, oh, that's not very feminist or, you know. I didn't, it, it wasn't until I was sort of a, a, a younger woman, a young woman that I started to, and I was working actually, yeah. that I started to question things, um, ways I was being treated in comparison to my, you know, to my, to my male, you know, counterparts, that I started thinking, in a minute, there's some injustices here. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Did your mum talk to you about feminism growing up? She didn't because my mum is... She just raised us Yeah. to be... It's my sister and me and my mum living in a house together. So we didn't have boys around. So we didn't feel different. And then we went to an all-girls school and, again, we just sort of... We were raised to be silly, yeah. run around, do whatever we wanted, wear whatever we wanted. You could be... Se- you, my mum would never say, you're not wearing that, it's too sexy. She'd go, yeah, you look great. Um, here, borrow my leather penis <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know, but she didn't... It, basically, all I'm saying is that when we were growing up, we didn't. we were not made to feel other. Yeah. Like less than or more than we were just made to feel like part of you were but it was i sometimes because i was raised in a really similar way my mum never talked to me about feminism but she's so strong and it was always like a part i don't know she just i've got three brothers and it was never any different and i sometimes think my mum actually always tells me stress more sexy i was topless on a (laughs) beach in ibiza for the first time ever it was this huge deal she was like why do you not dress like this more? Like, you're always wearing huge jumpers. Like, you're so annoying. It's like, you're not meant to say that. Mm. Um, but then I sometimes think when you've been raised like that, it's almost more of a shock when you get out into the world or things start... When I was kind of a teenager, things started happening to me mm. that I now realise only happened because I was a teenager and I was a girl. And it's almost more of a shock because you've been raised in this amazing way. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it wasn't... Even when I was going through sort of... 18, 19, 20, while I was at, you know, drama school and doing all of that, I still didn't feel the the inequality yeah. until I start, I went into the real world, until I was out there in the real world with adults that are working. And that's when I went, oh, my God, people are treated so differently. Um, because, you know, my mum would never treat anyone differently. And we were raised that way. So, yeah, it was a bit more of a shock. Did you always know you wanted to be an actress? Absolutely not. Really? I um no. I did it as a hobby um from the age of like twelve just to kind of do something really yeah. and socialise. And then at sixteen someone said, Oh, you should like do this, you know, as a profession and I just didn't know that you could get paid for doing you know, we didn't we weren't raised watching films. We would go to the theatre sometimes, but it was just not an option. Yeah. So I always felt like it was just this sort of silly thing which I was going into and that really one day I'd have to choose a proper job. Have a real job. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like that. I'm like, it's, yeah. just one day I'll have to have a proper job. One day it's going to happen. <laughs> um, it, that's make almost makes this more interesting because I feel like always the parts you played from the very beginning of your career are these really kind of strong women and, you know, even, like, Centrinians, I almost feel, was, like, the beginning of this new feminist. <laughs> like, for me and my friends, that was such a huge deal, and Tess of the Devils, and you've always played these incredible strong women. Was that an active decision, or did you seek out those parts, or how do you think that's ended up happening? It was not an active decision in any sense. I was grateful to get any job and any part, and yeah. I think the... Uh, you go up for so many things when you're first out of drama school. And I went up for... St. Trinian's was my first proper job, I guess. And that came about because um, the casting director saw me in a play at drama school and I think she thought that I was kind of, like, tough or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also simultaneously going up for auditions at the time where I would literally have an audition for a part where a woman has a sex scene. And that's yeah. that. You know, so thank God I didn't get those 
parts. But it's, yeah, I think as obviously now, as I've I've gotten older, I really am very careful about the, the parts that I choose and I think what are the repercussions. And But when I was younger, um, I was, you know, especially with the things like, you know, the Bond film and... I, I was just grateful to get the job, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, and I didn't really think too hard about it. Um, so, but yeah, you, it's interesting you say that because I, about, you've always had these strong characters because I sort of feel like I get so much, every interview I ever get, do, yeah. ever, asks me about why did you do this film? Why did you do <gasps> no. this film? It's such a bad example. And and actually, I've... I, and, or why did you use Centrinians? I think with Centrinians is like, oh my okay, God. they wear suspenders and stockings, right? We That's, you know... Yeah, apart from that, they're all should doing... should be allowed to wear suspenders and stockings. Precisely. And also, like, Rob Banks or Art or whatever they're doing in the film. Yeah, and, it's, and that film is about working with your sisters. Yeah, and supporting other and women. supporting each it's other. It's so amazing, and... I was at a really kind of cliquey all-girls school and I remember when it came out and we were just, it was huge and the idea of like all the groups coming together and supporting each other mm. and working together and all the heads of the different group was major. Mm. I think it's a feminist masterpiece, actually. <laughs> um, and my 16-year-old brother just went to Edinburgh with his school with the Maiden Dagenham Musical. Did he? Yeah, and it was so cute. And I went to see it with my mum and afterwards my mum was sobbing and was yeah. like, it's about you, it's about feminism. I was like, it's very yes. sweet. But they were amazing. Oh, and that's, that's brilliant. Did, Who did yeah. he play? He was actually in the, like, band at the back. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay, cool. But um, he came to me and he was like, I do actually think you're going to like it because it's really feminist, actually. Of course. <laughs> it's <got a> really <laughs> good message. <laughs> so I'm glad it's taken you, like, three months to realise what you're actually doing. <laughs> um, that also leads us quite nicely into your piece of the book. Do you mm. want to tell us a bit about your piece in the book? So my... When when you guys asked me to write a piece, I completely freaked out because I don't consider myself a writer. And I was thinking about, okay, what's my feminist journey? And I've had lots of feminist journeys, but one that sort of defines me is this sort of journey from being a Bond girl, which is not necessarily... Um, regarded as a feminist sort of <laughs> position. <laughs> position to becoming a kind of a, almost like a spokesperson yeah. for equal rights and um, and equal pay and feminist issues and grappling with that and going on that journey. And um, so I decided to write a piece about what would happen post Me Too, post Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> with the things that we've learned if my Bond girl, um, what would happen if she was a woke woman? Yeah. And um, she didn't agree to go up to Bond's hotel room when he asked her to, even though they'd only just met. And, you know, she. It, so it's, it's, a, it's funny. I mean, it's, you know. But it's, it's more than funny. It's amazing. And it's so <laughs> clever. And I also think there's so much truth in it because I think, a lot of people post Me Too and post Time's Up and post everything you've been doing in the UK, a lot of people feel more empowered to say no and to to say, oh, actually, I don't have to do this to get this job or I don't have to do this to, you know, suck up to James Bond. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it's happening. Like, you can... Have you seen the change? Because you were very involved with Time's Up. Have you mm. seen changes since? I think the big change that I've seen is that there's this gr amazing camaraderie between 
women. Yeah. So we are going, oh, I've got your back. Whereas before, I felt like definitely in what I do, my profession, there's been this culture of competition. It's like there's one part for a woman. There's one, there are three female directors. There Mm. are, you know. Yeah. So you're all fighting for a position. And actually, it shouldn't be like that if we're not being competitive with one another, if we work together, then we can do whatever we want. And that has been a hugely powerful thing that I've felt personally this year. And um, and then, you know, like practical things. For example, I just worked on a Netflix show and Netflix are one of the kind of, one of the first um, people that have, they give harassment training to wow. every single crew member and cast member. before you start a job which means that you have to go on a phone call or have a meeting like a kind of you know a lesson in what accounts for harassment and this and it goes from you know telling an inappropriate joke which might be funny to you but it might deeply offend somebody else because you don't know them and you don't know what they've gone through to you know obvious harassment um and that is it is a really powerful thing because it First of all, it means that harassment is center, you know, it's just everyone's talking about it and what 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 does it mean? And, oh, actually, and they're questioning their own mm. behavior or their own sense of humor. And also Netflix put a, a helpline on the top of every day's call sheet. Wow. So if you do feel like that's not appropriate or I've seen something, I saw that person do something that wasn't appropriate, you can anonymously call or non-anonymously. Before, a year ago, no one would have even known Yeah, and it might have even that. been ridiculed. Yeah, and you might have lost your job. Mm. You, you know, but, but it's this sense of, you know, we're all out there together looking after each other, I feel, is the big thing that's come from it. I also think that's so clever because I think one of the things that's kind of bandied around post Me Too is like, oh, but what does harassment even mean? And, you know, is, can I not talk to women anymore? And, you know, all of this and something like that, you're very clearly being told at the beginning of a shoot what it is and mm. what constitutes it. And there's lots of things that aren't and there's lots of things that are. And I think the more transparent we can be about that, the easier it is because then you kind of cut out any of that negative yeah absolutely and you know it's so weird I can imagine I mean not to give too much away but I had my harassment training with two other actors that are comedian actors that I know you know British comics male comics and I was thinking oh no like they're going to make loads of jokes on the harassment (laughs) call saying what if I uh you know yeah and um and actually, it was so incredible because humour is a very, you know, even my sense of humour, I've got a kind of naughty sense of humour, you know. Yeah. I've got, you know, I do laugh at things sometimes that are a little bit rude or yeah, whatever. So. And people were saying, oh, God, is it the death of me being able to make jokes? And it's not about that. It's about knowing when it's appropriate, feeling it out before you go there. And yeah. Just, and, and just, you know... And I also say, like, if you've got a joke that offends someone of a minority that's been going down really well, it's probably because you haven't been hanging out with that minority. And if the joke isn't funny to women or people of colour or someone that's got a disability or a hidden disability, it's just not funny. So try a bit harder. Like, if it didn't go down well with your male friends, you would cut that joke. Yeah. And I think that's what it really is. And it's also Mm. people not laughing because they think they should or laughing because they think if they don't I think we've all been a bit more empowered to be like actually yeah harder like come up with something that doesn't offend me yeah 
Um, and it might mean we even get funnier jokes. Yeah, exactly. It might mean we have to dig a little bit deeper yeah. and use a bit more brain. And not just offend people together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think humour's a really interesting thing because your piece in the book's really funny and I was just saying I loved your leading lady parts, which is an amazing sketch that you made recently, um, kind of about everything that's going on with Time's Up. And do you th- I think often in the past, and for me especially growing up, I think I thought feminists were like really grumpy and <laughs> angry and like couldn't take a joke and couldn't flirt with boys and couldn't you know wear pink and do the makeup. And I think actually a lot of the feminists I know are the funniest people I know and there are ways of doing it with humour, but I do think still sometimes it's that idea that it's not funny. How Where do you see your comedy coming in with your feminism? I think that, I mean, I will stand on the soapbox and shout and scream about it and have done and spoken a lot in the press about um, my feminist views. But actually, like, to get the message across to, like, the majority, to the masses, to people that maybe are resisting it, humour and comedy is the best way. Yeah. Especially with the leading lady parts. People were laughing at that that wouldn't normally watch something like that or who maybe don't even agree with Time's Up and, you know, all of those things or are unsure. And it's the most sort of gentle way to tell your message. Yeah. Um, But it's very, very tricky to get right. And um, because we're in the process at at the moment of trying to make another, like a lead-on film from Leading Lady Parts, and we want it to be funny, but at the same time we want it to be about inequality so you're kind of thinking well you don't want to mock anyone but yeah. the same, and, and we definitely don't want to be doing any like finger pointing um so it's it actually takes quite a lot of um thinking about and being very sensitive and um um but if you can get it right i think it can be the best way of, yeah. of getting a message across and i also sometimes think there's this whole like untapped bank of female comedy because we've had stigmas around it maybe to talk about we organized this whole campaign around periods and the jokes that came out at our protest of like the signs and you know people's speeches and there were just all these period jokes that I've never heard because I feel like people would have been too embarrassed to tell a period joke before Mm -hmm. unless it was like coming from a man so I sometimes think there's actually going to be this amazing wave of comedy inspired by these things because there are funny things about it and there are funny things about being feminist and there are funny things about all of this. Yeah, there's funny, there's humour everywhere yeah. and wit. I think wit is, that's the right word as yeah. well because it's about being really sharp and um, and it's not being slapdash about your comedy or your humour, it's about being really clever about it. Yeah. And um, it, it just, it's been so inspiring actually this year and me meeting a lot of, you know, comedians and writers and funny women and the the, the, the tricks that they can play on yeah. taking something that's not funny that shouldn't be funny like sexual harassment and and finding a way of you know sort of getting it out there in a not palatable way but you know yeah it's a really it's a you have to be inc- incredibly smart really no but I think it's so powerful and I always say I was I was really ill as a child and you know, some of the times I've laughed most are in hospital because sometimes that those extreme emotions can lead to extreme, like, laughter as well mm. and comedy. And I think saying that all of feminism has to be very, like, dire and serious is just ignoring, like, a huge part of humans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're not, we're not all 
You know, it's absolutely not true at all. This 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 outdated idea of, yeah, I think sometimes I think oh, feminists, feminism is you know a movement obviously, and sometimes I think the word is a bit outdated because it still has these negative con- connotations yeah. to some people because of you know previous previous ideas about feminism and what a feminist is. But actually, you know, it's so much now. It's so much more. You know, it's like. It's about equality. It's about equalis, equalisters. We're like calling ourselves <laughs> with my friends. We're equalisters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's you can be silly and fun and expressive and um, and and sexy and gorgeous and you know you can do yeah. anything. You can be anything. Exactly. It's the the book is really all about these kind of lies that we've been told about what it means to be a feminist, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man. What do you think is a lie that you feel you're told about? what it meant to be a woman or that you had to do because you're a woman? Um, I think mine was not be outspoken. Yeah. And um, and if I had an opinion, you know, to keep it palatable, keep it nice, keep it sweet and short and, and um, no one really wants to hear about your opinion really. yeah like just keep it short <laughs> and I've I, you know I was having a conversation with my two really good friends yesterday who are big feminists and they were saying god you know I I'm only recently finding my voice yeah. I'm only recently feeling like it's okay for me to take up space um and and speak for a long time and not say I'm sorry I've been speaking for a long time or you know as women we've been told to take up as little space as possible be be on tiny stilettos that take up the minimum amount of pavement. Completely. And then when you know, it comes about, you're not used to it. Like, yeah. I've done a degree in feminism and women's movements, and when people ask me questions about it, I could, like, I don't know what to say. And I, I'm like, I just, I guess because of, you know, Beyonce and my mum, <laughs> and I don't know. And then, and it's madness because it's just so crazy that I find it, I actually find it easier to write because... And then sometimes I look at the things I've written and realise I'd never say them out loud mm. or would never speak them up because it is, it's scary. Yeah, it is scary and you feel vulnerable. And I also think that's because, you know, the media have sort of said, oh, God, look look at her banging on about this again. Yeah. You're like, well, I am banging on about it, actually, because I care about it and I'll bang on about it until you guys listen, you know. Yeah. But we've been, for so many years, it's, you know, made to feel bad about that and... I mean, even when I bang on about like feminist issues, I still feel a bit like, oh, you know, someone thinks I'm banging on. You know, I still (laughs) feel bad about it, like that comment. But I think, you know, we have to occupy the space. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that's slowly. I'm seeing that happen with my friends and my colleagues. And but it's gradual, I think, because it's so deeply ingrained. And maybe it is kind of almost a little bit, maybe a part of as a woman you're you know oh I better not you know yeah I don't know I know I never know if it's like it's that natural nature thing, yeah um I've got although I've got friends that are like rah yeah. and they are women and then I know a lot of boys that are like yeah silent um do you think as well a lot of that comes from kind of what you're saying about playing a bonga and playing these more sexualized parts and then feeling I think I, my dad was once at dinner with someone and he was like oh Scarlett keeps talking about this feminist stuff but what was up with all the pink then? And it was like, you know, feeling like because you care about or have embodied certain ideals that are seen as anti-feminist that you actually can't speak up on those issues. Yeah, there is. I I think there's some... I did an interview recently where I had to... I said something like, 
they said, well, you you do realise that, um, the journalist said, you do realise that, you know, some people might say, well, you're not really allowed to talk about being, you know, um, non-sexualised when you were, you know, you were a Bond girl. And I said, okay, yeah, fair enough. Like, you have to own it. So I own that. Or you're the person that should most because you've been through it. Yeah, maybe. And I think it was also your... You're saying you can do that and still be a feminist. Yeah, but it's it's. I have such conflicting ideas, yeah. I, like feelings about it all, and um, I'm still sort of working them out in a weird way. Um, but I then did. I did this film, which is probably the, my most sexualized role. But it's one of the most feminist films I did, called Byzantium with Sersha. Yeah, and. Um, and that in that I'm way more sexualized than in the Bond film. Yeah. It's like I'm a stripper, I'm a prostitute, <laughs> I'm doing all this crazy stuff in like, you know, stockings and suspenders and but, you know, it it's one of the most empowered characters I play as well. Well I also think sometimes when sometimes that critique that women shouldn't be sexualized is also saying that women shouldn't enjoy sex. Mm. Or that you know, it's actually as much a part of us you know, there's a piece that my friends wrote for this book about wanking as a girl, and we just did this whole campaign around female masturbation, and it was incredible to see these women come out and be like, yeah, you know, it's this is a part of being a woman. And mm. it, it's funny, that idea that it's like, it's the virgin or the whore thing, isn't it? It's like mm. you can either be one or the other, and actually there should be a middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. We can't also just only be seeing women in film that are, like, buttoned up to the neck and not doing anything. Yeah, and I think that that's changing as well, you know. We're starting to see, like... I mean, I have a film coming out in a couple of couple of months about Vita and Virginia, v- Vita Sackville West so Virginia. I'm so excited about that. I don't. Think, I did half my degree in Virginia. Like ah. I'm obsessed with her. But it was it's it's about this love love affair and love story between these two incredible intellects and um, brilliant women who were at the forefront of feminism. Mm. Bef- you know, and and it's directed by a woman, written by a woman. So all the love scenes are so different to what we usually see yeah. with female love scenes like it's so they're very beautiful very honest yeah. and kind of like in your face but not you know it's more about feeling rather than about what position they're in or yeah whatever. it's not loads of scissoring <laughs> yeah, it's not loads of scissoring I don't think Virginia Woolf knew what no, scissoring was Virginia Woolf would definitely not have been up for that, that. No. <laughs> um, do you feel there are lies you've been told about what it means to be an actress as well no, I, to be honest, I no, nothing springs to mind. I mean, I, we, the only thing that I wish I'd sort of done when I was younger was question things. Yeah. And um, I didn't really. I just sort of went along with things. And when I meet people like Saoirse or Florence Pugh or, you know, these young actresses, well, Saoirse's, she's not that young anymore, I'm afraid. <laughs> but when I first met her, she was like 14 or something. But, um, you know, who are so self-assured and question everything yeah. and are so um, confident to say, hang on a minute, wait, why Why do I need to do that? And I didn't do that. And I think, I think the only thing that I felt I, was a lie was when I was at drama school being told, you will not work... They do that because they, that is a, they want a, to an, a you, yeah. yeah, it's a fact. Like you don't work most of the time, and so therefore, you know, anything you get, take it. Yeah. And I now I go into drama schools and I say, your 
it's like the same for any professional or any, especially a creative profession. Your only control is in what you decide to to, to do or not do, mm. and you should take real pride in that and and really be very protective over it. And um, and I, I didn't do that, and yeah. so I felt like I was told to be very grateful, and and I am very grateful, but um, I, I wish I had just had a little bit more kind of I've confidence had... in myself to go. Hang on a minute, like yeah. I don't have to do that. I've had that with writing a lot, where I. You know, I left school when I was 14. I was just so grateful to get anything I was asked to do. And some of it is stuff I I hate. And when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, God, why did I write that article or something? And I think, yeah, it is that thing when you feel... It's that line between ambition and, like, trying to get any work you can get and also just, like, being feeling okay saying no and having enough trust in yourself. Yeah, that's scary. And it is trust in yourself and trust in others to not... It's that thing, again, of, like not feeling threatened like at threat like oh if I don't do this it, then that's it I'm never going to work again no yeah. one's going to want to work with me or um and I think that's the thing that's sort of it's a big talking point between my female friends at the moment of we just have to know that our like jobs are not at risk yeah if we just go off for half a year and do something else and and it's also that thing no. of not wanting to be seen as difficult which I think is really tough I'm mm. really obsessed with that bit and when Harry met Sally where she goes, I'm difficult. And any time my mum talks to me about, like, why didn't you have a boyfriend? Or, like, why are you like this? I'm like, I'm difficult. <laughs> but it's hard. Like, we're told not to be difficult. I All I ever wanted to be when I was growing up was nice. Like, that was the highest compliment anyone could give me. Because mm. like, I just hope they think I'm nice. I just hope mm. they think I'm nice. And I'm like, I'm not that nice, and it's fine. <laughs> mm. Mm, that's um, a really good point. Yeah, I think it's just... It's funny that was like I, none of my brothers would ever have said like I just want to be seen as nice. Mm. It's like a very kind of fearful thing I think as well. Yeah, to be disliked, yeah. to be difficult. But yeah. what's so amazing is like you talking about speaking up. I think I work a lot with teenage girls and young girls, and they are so incredible and so outspoken, and feel so empowered to like make the things they want to make and do the things they want to do. And so much of that comes from people like you and like what you're doing now and. It, it really does like I think what we've seen in the last year is just incredible and if you're watching that when you're 14 or 15 it's that's going to change the whole path of the rest of your life well that's very sweet I mean I I wish I when I think back to when I was a teenager I we didn't really have anyone that was sort of you know there were people but I don't I didn't feel like I connected to anyone that I went wow they're saying something that yeah. I, I, no one was talking about weight no one was talking about pressures or and it was all very hush hush no one was talking about you know the feminine ideal and beauty and all of that and I wish that I had someone that was doing that and even when I first started talking about all that nonsense um and I'd get you know I, I, it would get in the press and then it would be their talking point and then, you know, you sort of think, oh, God, oh no, why did I say that? But actually, now everyone talks about it. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, you know. It's boring. It's boring now. <laughs> yeah. no. Now they want to talk to you about, like, the films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> God, you actually want to hear about my work? <laughs> um, no, it's so interesting. Who were your heroes growing up? Um, Bjork. Yeah. Um, was probably the the biggest. Um, Alanis Morissette. Um, See, these were like the few feminist icons. Yeah. So you kind of knew even then. Yeah. Um, Shirley Manson. Yeah. 
Um, and they're all singers, I mean, yeah. it seems. Because um, I, I wasn't very... I wasn't into films and I wasn't into, like... I didn't really read books. <laughs> all I did was, all I did was, um, was listen to music. So I guess they were my, and they, I am really like, Bjork really did influence me in so many ways, and my sister. And she was just, you know, I mean, obviously she's a massive feminist, but she just felt like she was outside of anything. Actually, yeah. she's just doing her own thing. She didn't care what anyone thought. She was like a nut. It's like she invented a new gender or something. Yeah, totally. Um, it sounds like you've got a really amazing group of female friends. Mm. Is that a big part of your life and your kind of support system? Absolutely. I think, you know, I'm very, very close to my sister Hannah, and she is my best friend as well as being my sister. So, you know, the relationships that I feel, you know. I feel, feel very relaxed around women. I don't yeah. feel kind of, you know, competitive or all of, you know. I remember going to a party once and someone said, oh, I bet you're one of those women that only have male friends. And I was like, no. Yeah. Actually, all <laughs> my friends, are, like a lot of my friends are women. And it's really great to, I have loads of male friends too, but, you know, my female friends is when I can really get down to it and yeah. really, you know, get to the nitty gritty and... And they're so, so supportive. Um, and uh, and now I've been collaborating with some of my best friends on work as well, which is just the most joyful thing ever. Yeah. To be able to work with your friends and create something beautiful. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, they some, are. Sometimes I think when you get kind of young girls or even like older women who can maybe think they're not feminist or think they don't really understand what it is, Sometimes I just say, like, look at your female friends and how you support them and how they support you. And that is it, but just on a global scale. Like, mm -hmm. it's doing that not just for your friends, but for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, that's a really good way of we've putting all, it. Yeah, we've all got these, my female friends of, like, you know, the reason I'm still going. It's, yeah. like, incredible. What advice would you give to a young girl who's maybe, like, seen you talking about Time's Up and thinks she wants to be a feminist, but isn't sure or is scared or something like that well she's already a feminist because she's you know questioning things yeah but I, I mean I think you're right it's feminism's about togetherness it's mm. about working together being together hearing each other supporting each other so don't feel like you're on your own like there are so many forums there are so many groups there are so many things that you can do to feel included um, even if you're shy and you don't like hanging out with people, you can still sort of read stuff and feel included. There's yeah. so much literature. Um, she'd read like Virginia Woolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a really good place to start. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it is scary. It, it is. I still feel scared sometimes, like talking, even doing this podcast. I was like, what am I going to, I'm going to say something that might be really offensive or that might get taken out of context or, you know, yeah. that's, a risk when you are kind of stepping outside your comfort zone um, but then that's okay as well it's not the end of the world and I think also the thing is everyone that's engaged in feminism has gotten that like criticism or mm -hmm. something like that and the truth is you either ignore it because it's people that clearly just want to hate you and never are going to agree with you anyway or it's someone that might be saying an interesting point and then you can kind of talk to them and learn from it uh, and yeah. I think so often we're so scared of engaging with anything because of that moment when the criticism comes. And actually when it comes, it's like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah, right. it's criticism is everywhere, and you know, especially with my job. I mean, I get critiqued. That's basically like what happens to me on yeah. a daily basis, and it sort of just goes away. I mean, it might leave a mark on you, and it might scar you, but it does go away. Yeah, it sort of just moves on. It moves on. And you can get through it. Yeah, it's definitely less bad when it happens than when you're thinking about it and mm. thinking what are people going to say about me and how are people going to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And probably you'll find like you have amazing other people that care about exactly the same thing. And yeah, and actually, to make friends. Sometimes it can be you know times when I've really really struggled, and you know I I went through a time in my career where I felt very like you know unsupported and patronized and actually that the and there were like the worst moments in my career and mm. life at the time but actually thank god they happened i actually see them as the kind of they created the the the, the work that i've been now doing yeah. is, is inspired by all of that so sometimes you know i'm grateful for those bad times as well if you can channel them into something else and yeah completely that's an amazing way to end mm. thank you thank you thank you so much for doing this and thank you for your pieces just so <laughs> incredible like we're obsessed with it and, and everything and oh. everything you do for the world oh my gosh. thanks so much for listening to this podcast if you've enjoyed it or even if you didn't we'd love to hear from you so make sure you subscribe and leave a review on apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House on the 4th of October 2018, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who is supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at at feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful Pink Feminists who've joined us as guests. If you enjoyed this episode, we have some really fun feminist events coming up with even more of our contributors, and we would love to have you. There's a link to our website where you can buy tickets in the description of this episode, and I cannot wait to see you there. Just explain it. Yeah. Femsplain. Femsplain. Um, Femsplain would be like, I wonder if you've noticed that. Can I just say, um, I I know you're trying to be nice, but I just think you might have noticed that it wasn't. You probably already know this, but (laughs) yeah. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.